Hello, I'm Moses. I'm Carrie. And I'm Ryan. Welcome to the Menocast. Today on our podcast, we're talking with Professor Emeritus of Conrad Grable University College, Tom Yoder Neufeld. We're going to talk about the church. What is it? Who is a part of it? And what do we do when we don't get along? Thanks for joining us. So, Pastor Carrie, Pastor Ryan, two people, well, I guess me too, working for the church, uh, and I'm sure you've had questions the same way that I have about where the church is going and where we are at. I know, of course, uh, the pandemic has added a com- another complexity to it, but we're having a conversation today about the church with Tom Yoder Neufeld. And to kind of get us going, I wanted to ask you guys just how you feel about where we are as a church now. You know, it. I think it's probably 10 years ago that we started the Being a Faithful Church process with Mennonite Church Canada, kind of this nationwide conversation about sexuality. And then shortly after that, we started this Future Directions Task Force. I don't know how involved you both were in all of that, but it really changed the, the outlook and, and the structure of our churches. Um, and now we're, we're kind of in this stage where we've had a lot of conversations about new seasons in the church or going through change. And I don't quite know yet if the dust has settled or if we're still trying to figure things out. So I was curious for both of you, you know, Ryan being in, in Alberta and Carrie being in Ontario, how do you feel like things have gone or where do you think things are at when it comes to our nationwide church? I would say out here in Alberta, it's uh, it feels very much like we're still, the dust is still set, settling, let's put it that way. Um, I think we um, probably felt like we were, the, we are the smallest and maybe most vulnerable of the area churches that were affected by the restructuring process. And so we are still learning um, what... What, what what this new reality looks like for us trying to trying to stay connected across vast geography in a, in a really small conference um, trying to sort out who's going to pick up the pieces that the that, that used to be handled by the national church or the nationwide church as we call it now um, so it, it feels very much like we are still learning and still um, figuring out what this new reality is going to look like um, on a local level I think a lot of people in our church, even though we were relatively involved in both processes, the Being a Faithful Church process and the Future Directions Task Force, um, a lot of people are still a little bit confused, even even at this relatively late stage, um, by what has actually happened and, and, and what it means and what's actually changed. Um, it's not entirely clear, to, even to very committed, you know, church people, what specifically has changed, although I think we, you know, they notice it maybe in, in the lack of some resources or... Um, you know, more pressure being downloaded onto area churches and local churches. So, you know, it's going to take time for this to to work through the system, I think. And we are, I don't, I don't personally think that we're, we're close to the end of that dust settling process yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carrie, what about in Eastern Canada? Yeah, well, coming from the biggest area church, both in number of churches and congregants and also in staff, um, area church staff. Um, being the largest, I think, has a very different experience. Uh, I think already before the restructuring of the Future Directions Task Force, I was already going to the, our area church more than I would ever be communicating with the national church, Midnight Church Canada. So in that way, I think for some of us that hasn't changed. Um, maybe for Midnight Church Eastern Canada, it feels like the dust has settled a little more on that for us, just because I think a lot of our resources are still there. Um, that's a privilege and a blessing. And it's something we need to recognize that, you know, the other area churches are not in the same place as that and how, and I think there has been some work on how MCEC can support the other area churches, but I'm sure there's, there's still a lot more work to be done on that. Yeah. Yeah. Here in Manitoba, I, I feel like it's, it's been a hard road, especially in the last number of years, having congregations leave Mennonite Church Manitoba. Um, and even some people within churches leave, right? And, and of course, that's all around 
um, conversations about sexuality, which is all wrapped up into like, you know, do we believe the Bible or things like that? Um, but also like in terms of vision and leadership, I think there's been some difficult conversations that have happened and we've had to say goodbye to people that we've been, you know, together with for so long. And, and I think that's been hard. And I don't know if we're at a place yet where we can say, all right, this is now the new makeup of the church. Let's, let's move forward with joy, right? Like even being at gatherings and stuff, it just, it feels smaller. It feels like people are missing. Um, and, and for us on like a local level, I know these conversations aren't even done yet, especially around sexuality. I feel like we're just entering into some of the uh, um, some of the difficult uh, conversations ahead, and and so it really makes me question, you know, these uh, what we think about church and what do we do when you know what we thought was a family now is dispersed or different, and, and the structures are all different. Um, and now we have to wrestle with, okay, what this church looked like? And then on the local level too, well, what do we do when we disagree on a subject and, and how can we move forward? Or is there a time when we just have to, you know, deal with that separation and and call that church? Um, we want to get into some of that conversation with Tom. But before before we do, I, you know, I really got to set this scene here just to give everybody a bit of an inside look into this podcast. Um this interview with Tom was something that I did uh, in 2020, before COVID. Uh, we had a Renew conference at Canadian Mennonite University. Both Ryan and Carrie were there, but this podcast was just kind of in the dreaming stage. And so we hadn't connected totally or organized ourselves. Um, and so I ended up doing this interview with Tom by myself. That's why you won't hear uh, Ryan or Carrie involved in it. But we're sure you're still going to enjoy this conversation. And afterwards, Carrie and Ryan and I are going to debrief it a bit. So we're so excited to get into this conversation, this interview with Tom Yoda Neufeld, who is a professor emeritus of religious studies and theological studies at Conrad Grable University College. He's now retired. He retired in 2012. But Tom has continued to be involved in the wider church well, including his local congregation, Mennonite Church Canada, and Mennonite World Conference as well. He's the author of the Ephesians Commentary in the Believer's Church Bible Commentary series, as well as a few other books, including uh, Recovering Jesus, uh, The Witness of the New Testament, and Killing Enmity, Violence and the New Testament. So we're very excited to, to see what Tom has to say about the church. What is the church and, and what do we do when things aren't clicking the way we hope? One of the things that I asked him first was to describe his own experience of becoming part of the church. I was very serious about the church before I became a teenager. Um, my parents tell me I begged to go to church, which is sort of seems bizarre now. I don't know another kid afflicted <laughs> yeah, right. with that uh, problem. Uh -huh. um, but but when I sort of was when I was twelve, I had this deep sense I want uh, I want to be baptized, and I was fortunate to have parents. I, this was in Europe. I was a missionary kid. I was fortunate to have parents who didn't. I didn't feel pr any kind of pressure from them at all. But nor did they discourage me. They must have had some sense that this was serious for me. And we lived in a place where I didn't have any peers age-wise. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't sort of an age, uh, something me and my friends do. Um, that wasn't part of it at all. So I was baptized in a congregation it wasn't even a congregation we could go to, but it was one of the Mennonite Brethren congregations in Germany, which we visited as often as we could because we lived apart, we lived elsewhere. And I was baptized together with young and old, mm -hmm. um, a whole spectrum of ages, and these were people who were coming to faith, um, uh, and many of them were coming to faith late in life, middle life, early. So it was a complete mix of ages, um, which was a part of what made it, gave it some serious integrity. 
Um, so my, my sort of joking about how messy this is and the way you feel when you are dunked under and you, you know, you're holding your nose or whatever it is so you don't inhale and come up sputtering and coughing, um, that's very much part of that experience uh, of baptism. And I've, I've come to treasure precisely that awkwardness as part of the awkwardness of growing into Christ. Um, and taking on the Christian life, which is not a smooth, easy process. So that was early in my life, and then, um, and and uh, and then, uh, you know, when you grow up, you go into your teenage years, you're trying to develop your independence and so on. Um, I got to the point where, where um, it wasn't clear to me that I was a believer anymore. I was still involved in church, but mostly fighting with the church. And I had the experience as a university student heading off to graduate school of having an experience at a conference of being, the way I put it at the time, tackled from the blind side. I was completely overwhelmed by an experience of the generous love of God that I couldn't make sense of. It violated all, it, it never answered all my questions. It's sort of like it bypassed those. That's what I mean with, yeah. with, uh, uh, with being tackled from the blind side. But it shaped very much my experience then in going to study theology mm -hmm. of not wanting to do so fearfully, but well, if God could jump out of the bushes and tackle me when I least expected it, you never know what you'll find. You'll never know what's there. And that, I would say, informs also, and maybe you want to take the conversation there at some point, informs my way of thinking about the church, too. That is, you know, I spend a lot of energy trying to figure things out and do the right thing and nudge things in the way I think it should, doing what I can to build it up. But God is still the one who meets Moses at this burning bush. God is still the one who jumps out. God is still the one who surprises you with who is with you in the church. Um, so uh, the, the, the element of God being ahead of us, beckoning us into the future, was very much born out of that, what I've sometimes called my second, my second coming to faith, or my second conversion, or conversion in midstream, as I once refer to it. Um, yeah, right. Now, there, there are two things that uh, would be very interesting to know. The first would be, what was it that you were fighting the church about? What was going on in younger Tom's life that was so, you know, getting at you? Well, I think part of it was just, I was, at that point, at that point, and this is now 50, this is now 50-some years ago, okay? Yeah. So um, that has to be kept in mind, and much has changed over those 50 years, mm -hmm. generally. But at the time, the church was, the, the, my congregation here in Winnipeg, was, was, was the leadership of the church was quite afraid of kids who were asking a lot of questions. Mm. So... I think, and if you have, you have to also remember Moses that th there was a generational war going on. The, the 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 60s, we were just at the edge of that. The Vietnam War was coming to a close. So the the sense the sense of an older generation not getting the younger generation. And I was going to university, so I was feeling <laughs> some new muscles. And uh, so so it just felt like, wait a minute, I am learning about caring about issues of poverty and justice. I'm learning that from my Marxist profs. How come, if, if Christ is supposed to make everything new, how come I'm not learning that in church? Mm. Uh -huh. um, and so it was more, it wasn't that I was, when I said I was fighting the church, the church, the church felt out of step with the questions I thought it should be able to answer. Mm -hmm. Sort of the, I think it's a little bit the arrogance of youth. Uh, you know, why aren't you, you know, sort of the, the hey, boomer uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of impulse, right? Um, yeah. Now the shoe is on the other foot. I'm yeah. 72, and I understand a little bit what those mm -hmm. dynamics look like on the other side of that. Well, but at the time, that's what I, that's what I mean. The, the, the last piece that I wanted yeah. to pick up on before we go to the church um, was... 
how God tackled you. Yeah. And I don't know if you if you feel like you can or, or want to just share a bit of that story. Like, what was it that you actually experienced? Well, that's interesting because it, like I say, it came out of the, it came, uh, it came completely out of the blue at a conference in which I was fighting the conference, so to speak, internally and so on. And there was one guy that seemed to sort of turn me off and, uh, and then uh, it was a student conference I was invited to be part of and he was there, this student, or this busker, he had a guitar. He looked to me like a hippie, and uh, and I, even though I did too, uh, there was something about this I didn't take him very seriously. And then he prayed in this meeting, and his prayer was, I thank you, God, for your beautiful family. Amen. And I don't know what it was about that, but there was something, a kind of mix of, oh, man, what did I miss here? And at the same time, wow, it is a beautiful family. It includes me and him. And I was over, I was, I just fell apart. And I remember going outside the meeting. I couldn't stay in the meeting. Too much going on inside. I went outside and I howled at the moon. Mm-hmm. Out of sheer joy. And shortly after we went to a meeting and here's this guy from the States and he's got brill cream and a blue, light blue jacket and wingtip shoes. You know, can you imagine 1970? <laughs> this is sort of like, and he had a, you know, I mean, he just looked like everything I didn't want to have anything to do with. And I remember him saying, the only way that we dare to follow Jesus is because he accompanies us. Wow. The idea of daring to follow Jesus was already new. And I fell apart, and this time I was crying. And I hadn't cried for years. And then somebody came up to me and said, Tom, would you, would you, uh, during communion, would you thank for the wine? And I said, thank for the wine? Do you know what you're asking me to do, to thank for the wine? Do you know what the wine represents? And I started crying again. Well. Uh, it was as if sort of the membranes, you know, people talk about thin places. It's like, it, it, it was a moment. I don't have any need to explain it. I don't think it had to do with brill cream or light blue jacket, nor did it have to do with this, that, or the full moon or any of those. It has nothing to do with all that. It was, it was literally nothing I would have construed. And that's what made me take it seriously. If there had been nice music and it had been there had been pressure and you know how you can sometimes construe spiritually loaded moments, which I've never liked, I've always been suspicious of them. This one, this one just, you know, I think God snickered. Let's let's uh, let's get him where he least expects it, right? At least at the time he least expects it. So that. That's that moment, and I don't hesitate to talk about it. I don't talk about it often because I don't want to trivialize the moment. But And everybody has their own moments, or maybe not everybody does, but I wish for everybody some way in which God sneaks up on them in ways that defies their categories of being able to understand that. Mm. So I don't know whether that answers yeah, your question. But and, and I think, like, I personally can relate and I think many people can. For me, there's been many moments where God has surprised me. And mm-hmm. one of them happened at a Mennonite church conference where I had this deep sense. And I, like our Mennonite church conferences, people wouldn't say those are very exciting meetings or anything like that. But I had this deep sense that I belong. This yeah. is my family. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe that's a segue to talk about church because if we have this sense of, belonging to the body of Christ. That's right. The first thing we have to ask ourselves is, well, how is it that we define church? Because if we talked about chained together and all of that, well, are, in my local church, I could talk about that. Or are we talking denominationally, like Mennonite Church Canada? Or when you talk about that, are you talking about, the, you know, the Catholic, capital C Catholic Church? Because in that sense, we could all agree on unity, even though we're still going to be separate. I appreciate your question. I just, I'm, I'm a little reluctant to give a precise answer to it because I don't think it's a 
precise thing. I mean, let me answer it this way. You know, part of our tradition as Mennonites is that we're very suspicious of sort of ideal, lofty, universal notions of church. We want it to be local and real, and that's why you need to be involved in the real congregation. That's where you might say discipling and discipline happen, etc. And I think that that's exactly right. But I think it's a both, actually, I think it's a both and. I'm part of Mennonite World Conference and chairing the Faith and Life Commission. Well, part of our job is to, in a sense, part of our task is to be engaged in inter-church conversations, relationships, etc. So I've been uh, part of a dialogue with the Seventh-day Adventists. And it was astonishing how much we as participants on both sides suddenly sort of discovered, when, when you just talk abstractions, those are the Seventh-day Adventists. They worship on Saturdays. They have a, a very clearly understood eschatology that most, much, many of us don't have, a very lively expectation of Christ's soon coming, as they put it, etc. We discovered in each other, sisters and brothers, with a kind of surprise factor. They felt like, oh, well that you, it's sort of like you discover the long-lost cousins you didn't have on their part. Well, so the, the question of the church, of course we're sisters and brothers in the body of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means the church is bigger than already than what we're working with in MC Canada. And then uh, there's just been a completion of a dialogue, interestingly. I would have loved to have had time this morning to talk about that, between Catholics, Lutherans, and Mennonites on baptism. Well, the reason we talk to each other is because we know, we see in each other members of the larger body of Christ. And these are issues that between us, we may not be able to solve, but we've got to speak to them. Mm -hmm. And we've got to try, see whether we can understand each other better. And you do that with the interest of understanding each other and to enrich your own uh, commitments and so on. Okay, it's a very interesting kind of process. Well, my reason for mentioning that there too, we recognize in each other uh, members of the body of Christ. Even though, from a Catholic perspective, of course, doctrinally, they have a hard time knowing exactly what status to give us, since we don't recognize the primacy of. Uh, of, of Peter, of, of the Pope. So there are outstanding issues. We don't agree on arms bearing, etc., uh, etc. Et but when you're talking with each other as sisters and brothers, you are witnessing to an awareness that the church is bigger than this. And how big does it get? Well, uh, I don't know that I want to know exactly where those edges end. So, so the edges of the body are fuzzier than I think I might have thought. And they're fuzzy not because we are fuzzy, mm -hmm. but they're fuzzy because at the core of the church is a Christ who is constantly out there at the margins calling. The spirit that created this cosmos is out there gathering and bringing into the presence of God. So if that's the case, which is very much the vision I see in Paul's writings, and certainly in the life of Jesus, then, uh, then we have to be careful knowing exactly where the edges of the church are. Mm. Um, that said, the configurations we have, whether it's the congregation you're pastoring in or the congregation I'm working in, that's the immediate arena in which my commitments to the church and the degree to which I'm willing to put up with people and to have them put up with me, that's where that's tested. Mm. So I don't want to disparage for one second the sort of the, the, even the organized efforts we make as members of the body of Christ to get things done. So I take, whether it's, whether it's Mennonite Church Manitoba or Mennonite Church Eastern uh, Canada or Mennonite Church Canada, those are, you might say, yeah, they're, they're organizational structures, but they're actually 
they're intended to facilitate us walking together in the body of Christ. Mm. Sometimes they can't contain it, or sometimes they, you know, we need bigger size shoe or a different size shoe. So I understand that there isn't a complete equivalency between church and church structures. Mm. But church structures are part of what helps church be church. I don't know if you are famous for saying this or if you got it from somewhere, but you said today you've written about it that that the church is messy, thanks be to God. <laughs> it came to me during the night. It did. Before my last, uh, before a set of lectures recently. Uh -huh. So um, how is it that you have experienced the messiness of the church and what are you getting at? For someone who's never heard you say that, what are you getting at? Thanks be to God for messiness. Well, only because, I mean that in a kind, you have to have a certain sense of humor for that okay. to work, right? Not all mess is of God. But if, if you can think of it this way, if you think of the church as a workshop of new creation, there is, there, there's sawing going on, there's planing going on, there's chiseling, there's sawdust in the air, there's the, there's the noise of hammers. There, like, in other words, this side of the kingdom of God, although the kingdom of God is finding a home with us, but what I mean is this side of the full appearing of Christ, where there is so much brokenness, the church had better have that brokenness and alienation brought into the transforming workshop of new creation or the womb out of which the new human emerges, right? to use the imagery from Ephesians. If it's not doing that, that's what I meant. You know, so when you find yourself in the church, and Ephesians keeps preaching to me, Moses, because I've got strong convictions. And there, are, uh, and I, I've, I've been arguing uh, almost a lifetime with certain people academically. And I've been arguing, and I think they're wrong. They think I'm wrong. I know that. And then I keep reminding myself, we're in the body of Christ together. So that doesn't mean that we stop the argument. It just means that those that that I had better listen to this person as a brother or a sister, not as an antagonist. Mm. Um, for me, one of the most important stories has become the story of Jacob and Esau. And that's within the family. They were already fighting in the womb. <laughs> Uh, Rebecca's already saying, if this is the way it is, I want to die, right? This is before they're born. And once they're born, Jacob steals from Esau his birthright. And then at one point later in life, he has to go back and face his brother. He's scared stupid of his brother because his brother has vowed to kill him and Jacob knows he's got every right to do so. He stole, he stole his life. Esau sees him and runs towards him, and they embrace, and they kiss, and they both weep. And to me, this is the most important moment. Jacob says to Esau, in your face, I see the face of God. Mm -hmm. So I think about, I think about the, the Ephesian vision is all about that. You Gentiles, we Jews, you, you, you're, you were nothing. And now you and we together are this new community. I have to look. I, I have to look at my Gentile brother and sister and say, "In you, I see the face of God," and you've got to do the same. So th this is this is this is very important to me in terms of how I experience the messiness. Mm -hmm. It's a messiness within the process of transformation, of reformation, of new birth. If you, if you just say the church is messy, mm -hmm. and that's a way of accommodating the mess, rather than seeing it as the result of God's grace at work for the purpose of transformation, then it becomes destructive. At, at least for, for pastors and congregations, or for even just people in the pew, um, the, these ideas can be really I don't want to use the word lofty, but they can be like really amazing and, and cool things to strive for. But then real life sometimes sets in and and we experience the messiness and it's not as great <laughs> as, as we once thought. 
So I'm I'm wondering if you could maybe be particular for for us in the Mennonite Church and maybe diagnose what has happened in the last seven years and the messiness that we felt. Do you think that's been the good kind of messiness that has brought us to a place of realizing our unity? Or or have we met, have we experienced something different? So when you say the last seven years. Yeah, like I, I know that the conversation in the church has been around sexuality. I mean that that's the big one, but there seems to be some other things that have drawn us apart as well. Yeah. Even about vision and leadership and um, and structure. And structure, yeah. So there's been a lot of messiness in different ways. Maybe you just want to pick up on, on well, one of those. Or... Well, I, I mean, I was very much, I was very much concerned about some of the structural changes that the church went through and tried to speak into those. And uh, uh, so I, I, from my perspective, from my view of things, that that those changes. Uh, are still in the process of working themselves out, and uh, one can only hope that that they will enable us to walk better together. Um, but just you mentioned sexuality. Um, I was very respectful of the seriousness which, with which the being a faithful church process was undertaken. Part of my reason for sort of trying to familiarize ourselves with the messiness of life in the body is not to make us um, sort of relax about it, but to, in a sense, develop a little bit thicker skin and, the, and, and to embrace the challenge with that if we are, if being part of the church means being part of a body to, in which Christ keeps calling people estranged from each other into that body, then we've got to develop both very, very strong hearts uh, and thick skin, uh, because because it'll it, we when I said this morning we do land up suffering each other. So very specifically in our own congregation, given our diversity, we have not taken a position. Mm-hmm. Unlike most of the congregations in our area that have very explicitly. Uh, and this is not a criticism of those congregations uh, at all, but explicitly identified themselves as affirming or as welcoming and so on. For us, the question is, is is there something churchly about making sure we find very real, practical, daily ways of walking together even when we disagree deeply about some things? Mm. So one way we've tried to work this out is to be quite explicit. So we've had, we've had Bible studies, uh, we've had discussion groups, we've had experts come in, we've had, but, but we've tried very deliberately in response to, I think, this vision of unity to make sure that voices don't get sidelined or silenced. I'm not sure that we're always successful at that, but that would be one very practical example of actually trying to live with this. Now, that turns out not to be good enough for people at at, at both ends of the spectrum on, let's say, uh, uh, on, on sexuality issues. But I actually preached the sermon in which it occurred to me again, these things happened to me in the middle of the night, that I had a big chain in the shed so I took this chain to church and put it behind the pulpit and much the way in some traditions uh, pastors or preachers wear a stole I put the chain on mm-hmm. and I sort of I would take this chain and I would yank it to those of you who have trouble with this because you wonder whether it's faithful to the Bible I'm not going to let the chain tear with you because I care about the Bible too. And to those of you who worry about the marginalization of your children, etc., uh, and then I'd yank this change again. It was quite physical. And it sort of became known as the chain sermon. Uh, but for me, that I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of that because you're asking, okay, practically, where does this come to roost? It comes every Sunday I go to church. 
And I looked at sisters and brothers with whom I know I am, I would never choose to be in the same club with those folks. I might not even like them and they may not like me, but who put me here? Ultimately, I am a member of the church because Christ called me and called them. So, and it takes everything to tie us together. Um, and it's the spirit that provides the unity. It's not my finding agreement. So this is the other thing that I think is really important for us somehow to work at, whether it's around sexualities or differences of governance, or, you know, frankly, I think the climate crisis will put us in a, put be challenges before us uh, that may dwarf these. Um, we tackle these not in order to achieve the unity of the Spirit, but because of the unity of the Spirit. We are, it is within the unity of the Spirit we maintain by how we tackle these together. Mm. And together we then grow into the unity of faith. You, do, do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and um, let me just take you back to yeah. the question before about how do we define church. Yes. What is stopping you from saying to your brothers and sisters at First Mennonite who disagree with you that, you know what, I'm going to go to a church that agrees with me more, but because the church is global, we're still brothers and sisters. You can still have the unity of the Spirit. I know, I know. What is keeping you? In well, the nothing, same nothing. <laughs> I mean, nothing keeps me, right? Mm. And I would, I've wrestled with this question because I think there are some congregational settings that are actually toxic for faith. You know, I've thought about this in terms of, um, I've, I've thought of this in terms of just the analogy of family. Um, I'm old enough that I have children who might have lived at home, but they haven't. And it's conceivable to me that at a certain point, my wife and I might have said to our, our offspring, you know, our lifestyles are such, it'd probably be good for you to get your own apartment at this point. It's just, we're, in, we're making life miserable for you and you're making life miserable for us. It would never occur to us to say to that, to our child, um, we're no longer family. Hmm. We might even make arrangements, come for dinner. Uh, make sure that on Sunday you're here. Or we might, we phone, or we text or whatever it is. How you, do you understand what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. In other words, there are deeper, deeper bonds than when you can stay, whether you can stay in the same building. Right. Might it even be that in some congregational settings, you as a pastor would say to one of your youth, you know, that congregation would, at, for where you're at in your present journey of faith, they would be more supportive of you. Go live with uncle and aunt. Mm. Uh, so. I think what happens now, it's a bit of a zero-sum game. Congregations break off from, uh, because they feel they can't walk together anymore. Um, and, then that's, and then that's sort of it. We don't have rituals to say, okay, you're moving out, you're not leaving here, right? We don't, you're not leaving our hearts because we're still together. And we're gonna find ways of actually practicing our bonds. Now that's just one silly, maybe silly analogy, but I also at the same time would want to say, and I struggle with this a lot and have in the past been parts of congregation I've not been comfortable in. I don't know that I can say an abstraction, when is enough enough? Because I read in Ephesians 4, in Colossians 3, etc., etc., about suffering each other, or as as you read in Colossians one twenty four, completing the suffering of Christ for the sake of His body. Well, suffering is pain. How much pain? Well, maybe that has to do with where you're at in your own spiritual life as to how much how much pain your love can handle. I mean, it's the same thing with patience. You know, I, I think of Peter's question: oh, seven times enough? That's wanting to measure how far this goes before it snaps. And Jesus answers 70. In other words, this will stretch your patience 
and for your forgiveness will go as long as you have enough love for it. Um, or as long as your love can bear that. You know, maybe we need to think in terms of the body of Christ having diversity of gifts, also the body of Christ having diversity of congregations mm. in terms of what their particular stretch, uh, their particular uh, space is, and then a diversity of denominations. I really personally think it's critically important to have a, a very large and therefore also not just superficial, but deep understanding of the unity of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think the deeper, the wider mm -hmm. it gets. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's um, a place to name certain things within the congregation that we do together that are symbols of our unity in the midst of diversity. The one, the one I'm thinking about is worship. Yes. That, that I, if I can stand beside someone that I disagree with yes. and worship with them, then to me that's a maybe a healthy piece of unity. Yeah. But if there comes a point where I, because of the differences of another person, I cannot worship with them or take their worship as you know, serious as mine, then there's a problem there. I don't know. Is, I think that's one. Mm -hmm. Let me give a very specific example around which we have struggled also in the Mennonite tradition and in others. Communion or the Lord's Supper. Um, in some traditions of the church, uh, you have it every week. In the Catholic tradition, every day, right? The Mass is going. Uh, in some Mennonite traditions, uh, once every two, uh, twice a year. Um, why? Because it's so solemn. And then it becomes a testing stone of, of whether, or a, a test of whether you are worthy, eating worthily, right? It's, it's sort of 1 Corinthians 13, 11, uh, sort of gone viral in the sense of, 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 of worthy eating. And of course, I grew up, I must confess, never looking forward to communion because I was overcome by my unworthiness kind of thing. I have come to see communion, I mean, which, which the Greek word behind that is koinonia, mm -hmm. where we get words like fellowship, sharing, mm -hmm. uh, community, all of those things, the, the communion of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the communion of, of the meal, the shared meal. That is, has become for me a test to go back to your question of whether I'm willing to stand next to my sister and brother and recognize that we are both in the body of Christ ingesting mm. the the uh, uh, bread, uh, the body and the blood of Christ. That is an absolutely pivotal ritual for expressing the hospitality of God by who you're eating and drinking with. I have heard a church leader say, yes. That if only the church, you know, if we get all our pastors yeah. to read Tom Yoder Neufeld's commentary on Ephesians, we would get over all of our problems. <laughs> Which I, I don't uh, need you to toot your own horn, yeah. but if you were going to give a minute or less summary to why Ephesians can be this formational document, to someone who's never had Ephesians in mind when thinking about these things. Well, the, boy, in one minute, right? Um, <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would summarize it this way. Pay attention to the first half and allow that vision of unity centered in Christ's self-giving on the cross and birthing us anew. Let that soak into your imagination. And what an absolutely awesome image that is. And then, gird your loins and take up the second half, which is, okay, what does it mean to live into that? And to live into that means the practice of love towards each other. Patience, humility, suffering each other, or long-suffering, or forbearance, speaking truth not at, but with 
together with each other in love and together putting on the armor of God to go about God's business in addressing uh, all the ways in which our world has gone broken. So we are, I mean, this is really important, being members of the Messiah. No Jew in the first century would have been able to say Messiah without knowing this is an agent of change, a liberator. So to put on the body of Christ, we talk about the body of Christ, that, that's more than just a way in which we think about each other's diversity. This is about, oh, what are we about? We are about God's business in addressing the alienation and the estrangement in the world. That's how I would put it. I think that's two minutes. But, but I would say all of that happens within the unity. I think it's very important to pay attention to not make sure you become one. That's there. That's there a little bit later about becoming until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of Christ. But it begins with maintain, keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit is the premise for our life together, not the result of our success at it. Mm. And that's re I think that's really why this letter has such relevance to us today. If we could start knowing that we are within the unity of the Spirit, uh, that has a whole different disposition with which we go at our differences, whatever they are, than if we think we've got to reach agreement on this in order to be one. We work out our differences within, you might say, the womb of Christ, <laughs> to mix metaphors, but yeah. they're, they're there in Ephesians. Yeah. The, the, the one last thing I want to mention on this, I think the climate crisis will put before us challenges, um, and is already, but, but we're waking up to them, that will test us theologically, that will test us missiologically, uh, that will test us in terms of our eschatology, which we've largely, for, in many of sectors of the Mennonite community, have forgotten how to talk about. So th th there are enormous challenges ahead of us on, on this uh, that I think are sometimes worrisome, but also um, th th what you can do is chalk up that sense of worry of maybe a nudge of the spirit to get busy to keep working at these at these issues. Well, that That's awesome. I. I want to give you the last word if there's anything else. I think you, I've told, think, said yeah. far more than you wanted me to talk about, yeah. but well, I appreciate your yeah, questions. Tom, and thank you for your time. And you are, I mean, you have been for many years such a gift to the church. And you oh, are a you. gift to the church. And I'm glad that retirement does not look like sitting on a beach and sipping samosas and that you are still engaged with us and for us. And thank you very, very much. Before we wrap up this episode of the Meadowcast, we want to take a moment to give away a copy of Tom Yoder Neufeld's commentary on the book of Ephesians, which is part of the Believer's Church Bible Commentary series. All you need to do in order to win is like our Facebook page at the Meadowcast. That's it. Just like that page and you will be entered to win a copy of this book. This resource giveaway, as always, is co-sponsored by the Common Word Bookstore and Resource Center, as well as Herald Press. The Believer's Church Bible Commentary series is produced by Herald Press and Menno Media. You can find out about them, about all the great resources that are coming out, and more about this commentary series at heraldpress.com. And if you're looking for great resources for you and your church, check out the Common Word Bookstore and Resource Center. You can visit them on the campus of Canadian Mennonite University in Winnipeg, or you could also visit them online at commonword.ca. One of the things I love about Common Word is the way in which they help to curate some of the resources that come from our congregations. So if you go to their website at commonword.ca, you're going to find tons of different resources produced by people from our own congregations. You'll find all kinds of stuff from sermon ideas to skits and readers theater to children's features and worship leading resources, all there curated by Common Word. So check them out, check out Herald Press, and remember to like the Menocast to win a copy of Tom Yoder Neufeld's commentary. 
So, Ryan Carey, even though you were there at the conference with Tom, unfortunately, you weren't part of the interview, but now you've been part of the conversation. Um, and there's so much rich stuff that Tom brings, especially in his outlook on the church. And to me, it's quite hopeful, you know, just listening to someone like Tom talk about the church and talk about the, the, the messiness, but still our unifying core. Uh, and so I'm curious, when, when you reflect on Tom's kind of talking about the church uh, and talking about that core that holds us together, um, what do you think that is for us? What do you think that is for us across this vast nation? I think something beautiful that has happened is that it has changed in the sense that I would say two decades ago, maybe longer ago, some of the core, you know, there's, there's always Jesus when it comes to Christianity, but I think kind of on that outside of Jesus, that other part of the core often was, um, our relationship, each other, that maybe we were related or we shared last names or we all came from certain countries and certain persecution. And now that's no longer, you know, cause Moses, like you wouldn't relate to that. Um, right. that couldn't be a core for you. And I think that has shifted. And I just think that's really kind of beautiful that we've shifted away from that and had to like, look more at like discipleship, Jesus, social justice, peace theology, like what makes us unique in the denominations because the other denominations of Christianity have Jesus too. Uh, so mm. what makes us, they do? What? what makes us the Mennonites? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan would like to debate that, but I'll, I'll I'm just, I'm not, no, no, I'm not debating anything. <laughs> I enthusiastically agree. But yeah, I think there's been a shift, and I think I think that's been a good thing. Well said there. I think that's true. And, and, and I think that, um, yeah, Jesus is, of course, it's such a cliche, but it's true, um, at the center of what holds us together. But, but I think it is becoming increasingly, it, it's not as straightforward to actually articulate what holds us together as Mennonites across this vast geography, um, where, I mean, life in Ottawa, Ontario, and life in Lethbridge, Alberta are probably rather different. Um, there are some similarities, of course, I mean, but on the face of it, there's nothing obvious that would connect a church, you know, in like a little church in, in Lethbridge and Ottawa, aside from history. And so I think the challenge going forward is actually to be proactive and to, um, you know, self-consciously think about what is it that unites us aside from history? I, I don't think history in and of itself is enough going forward. I often ask people in our church when we're talking about a program or a, or um, something in the church, does this have a history or a reason? And I think a history by itself isn't enough, even though it's crucially important and, and we, we can't make sense of the present without our history, but we also have to have a reason. And the reason is, is I, I think getting, this is one of the unique aspects of our moment right now is we're having to shake out what that reason is. And, um, it's not easy <laughs> to put it honestly. It's not easy to shake that out. Yeah. I, as uh, Carrie said, you know, I'm, I'm one of these non-heritage Mennonites who I, I don't connect with that history at all, although I find it fascinating. And I really see a lot of, um, I see a lot of, uh, of the faithful work that Mennonites have done in the past. And I'm thankful for it, although it's not my history, but for whatever reason, like I was able to be part of this church and I, I, I saw what the church was doing and I, and I loved the work that it was doing when it comes to, you know, the, the focus on community and, and how we do discernment uh, and how we work at reconciliation. Um, and I wanted to be part of it. And then, you know, just by kind of committing myself to the church, now I'm a part of this family. And whether I like it or not, it, it includes you, Ryan. <laughs> it, it includes you, Carrie. Right? It, it includes all the churches and Christians who belong to this family. Um, and to me, that's just such a it's a, such a beautiful thing um, that we're. It, it's a gift, right? Like it, it's not. It, it's a gift for me to be able to be part of something so much bigger than me and my own personal relationship with Jesus. You know, at the beginning of the, the episode, we were kind of talking about where we felt we were at, right? And and some of us feel like there's still work to do in these changing times. And, and Carrie, you mentioned like things are kind of looking hopeful or um, things are moving in a good direction in Eastern Canada. 
And now after hearing from Tom about you know what the church is and how we might work at these uh, difficult conversations, do you feel hopeful? And how do you feel hopeful that we are moving in a good direction as a church? Or what do you think the next decade is going to hold for us as a church? I think sometimes the, the fun of church is that we, we never know. God throws us in different directions and Jesus walks with us into unknown territory, which is really beautiful. Uh, one thing that strikes me is, I think in the next decade, as we always have, we really have to listen to the young people and and find out what kind of church they want to be a part of and what kind of church they want to inherit. And at the same time, how can we also listen to our elders and the wisdom that they bring and the experiences that they've had that have helped shape the church? Um, I'm almost like if those two groups could could get together and pl- decide, plan the future of the church, I would be, I would be into following what those two wise groups have to say. I think one of the, one of the things, and, and you can feel free to edit this out, <laughs> Moses, if you want, but I think it's important that we actually have the freedom to be honest and to say that if we don't feel like the church is heading in a particularly hopeful direction right now, at least based on our limited vantage point. And there are times, to be perfectly frank, where I, I'm, I'm not sure that, that, that it doesn't look obviously hopeful. I mean, we're we're talking about a small denomination that's that's as as you mentioned earlier, where churches have left, and the same is true in Alberta, where we're we're getting smaller, we're getting older, um, and all this taking place in broader cultural trends of um, that the churches decline far beyond the Mennonite Church. I mean, these are the pressures we feel are not in any way unique. Um, so, you know, sociologically, empirically. There isn't always a great deal that looks hopeful, to be perfectly frank. Um, but I took enormous encouragement from from Tom's um, stories about being blindsided by by Jesus in his own personal life, and in his uh, his time with a few different churches over the course of his lifetime. And, and and as followers of Jesus, I think that's always where hope comes from 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 the God who who breaks into apparently hopeless situations and 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 flips the script. And so I, I personally hold those two together. Um, on any given week, it doesn't look terribly hopeful, <laughs> especially over the last 16 months. It's been really hard um, to, 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 to look at empty churches and, um, you know, uncertain futures and, and discouraging trends. But there's always but. You know, Paul always, in all of Paul's letters, he's, he, I heard a sermon recently called Paul's Big Butts. <laughs> it was... He's he's got he always has a butt in there somewhere. But Christ, but God, but you know, in in light of you know, in, even though all of this we see looks discouraging, God cannot be so easily constrained, and so that's that's the, where I find the hope going forward. Not just in the Mennonite Church because we're just one tiny little corner of the, of the Christian family, and I, I think whatever the next ten years might hold, it's going to have to look like us, you know, finding our place maybe even more intentionally in 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 the larger family um, in ecumenical conversations and i know most of our churches use high church liturgies and we're, we're embracing and adapting in all kinds of ways that we wouldn't have 50 years ago um, where people are, are drinking from all kinds of different streams in the christian tradition now whether on sunday morning or in their own media consumption throughout the week and i think that that trend will continue obviously and i think that's a good thing you know i i remember um I remember being at a conference and talking to someone uh, a number of years ago about the changing church. And he said something interesting that he hopes for a smaller, yet more unified and strong church. And to me, that didn't really fit, right? Like, because we want big, we want more, we want more people involved in all of that. Um, But it's almost like he saw kind of what what was coming in the future, especially with some of the difficult conversation and churches leaving and all that. And as sad as that is, he somehow was able to balance that with us becoming stronger and, and us becoming more unified. And, and I think that's the hope, right? Like, we've, I think we've been lamenting the changing structures and, and churches leaving and, and all of that and churches shrinking too. But is there space for us to become stronger and more unified in the midst of that? that and, and through that, then also see new uh, and beautiful growth come out of 
the new structures and the new churches that we're imagining. No, I like that. I, I resonate. I resonate with that. I think the smaller church isn't always a bad thing. Splits aren't always a bad thing, even though they're painful. Because maybe that just creates two spaces out of one that accompany more people in their faith. You know, it's not perfect. That's kind of idealistic, but I like that. Yeah. And, and, and Ryan, like you're saying, you know, we're, we're kind of going beyond our denominational walls. So even though there might still be a lot of separation, maybe we can create those spaces where we can see even the churches that have left you know, or or they could see us still as being siblings in the same family, yeah, um, and still yep. learn from each other and work together towards building God's kingdom, um, and, and yet grow stronger at the same time. We want to thank you for listening to the Menocast. You can find us at themenocast.com. Listen to episodes on our website or subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you heard and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Menocast. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions. You can contact us through our website or at themenocast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Nick Duick for creating our music and our advisory group for guiding us along the way. We would also like to thank Common Word and Herald Press for partnering with us to give away awesome resources as well as Mennonite Church Eastern Canada for providing us with a seed grant to get this project going. Lastly, I want to thank my co-hosts, Carrie Lane and Ryan Duick, for joining us today. I'm Moses Falco. Until next time.